Hello and welcome back to our podcast series on Research Matters, hosted by UNICEF's Office of Research Innocenti in Florence, Italy. I'm Kathleen Sullivan, a communication specialist with UNICEF Innocenti, and today we're talking about UNICEF Innocenti's new evidence and gap map, or EGM, which visualizes what evidence exists and where there are gaps on interventions to reduce violence against children in low and middle income countries. With our very own Carrie Albright, Chief of Research Facilitation and Knowledge Management, and Ramya Subramanian, Chief of Child Rights and Protection at UNICEF Innocenti. The new EGM, completed in partnership with the Campbell Collaboration, arranges about 150 carefully screened impact evaluations and systematic reviews onto a framework of interventions based on the INSPIRE framework strategies and outcomes, such as direct impacts of violence, social norms, health, and education into a searchable browsable database that visualizes where the evidence exists and where there are gaps in knowledge. So why are we mapping evidence and gaps on violence against children? What does this map reveal about violence against children that we didn't know before? And where are the largest gaps in our evidence and what do we know a lot about already? These are just a few questions we're sitting down to discuss with our two chiefs today who work together to spearhead this research project jointly with our partners at Campbell Collaboration. So welcome Ramya and Carrie. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you, Kathleen. Thanks. Would each of you mind introducing yourself briefly and telling us a bit about your research roles in this project? How did it come about? And also, what do you do more broadly at UNICEF Innocenti? Sure. So thanks, Kathleen. So um, I'm Kerry Albright. I'm the Chief of Research Facilitation and Knowledge Management, as Kathleen said. And this team is really responsible for research standard setting, including quality assurance and ethics, as well as research capacity building across UNICEF's 190 plus offices worldwide. Um, and as part of this portfolio, over the past four or five years, really, we've been undertaking work to raise awareness amongst colleagues of the potential added value of investing in evidence synthesis for children across UNICEF. For this particular EGM, um, it kind of spun off from an earlier activity conducted with the Campbell Collaboration in 2018, the so-called Megamap project, um, where we mapped global evidence related to, to child well-being against the five goal areas of UNICEF's current strategic plan, one of which is uh, every child is protected from violence and exploitation. And for this particular goal, we found some primary studies, but next to no evidence synthesis um, across most of the domains in, in this particular goal. And Rami and I had been chatting about this. She'd found the findings interesting and wanted to piggyback on this work to do a deeper dive, uh, synthesizing both existing evidence and expanding the, uh, the framework and the context. Um, as to my particular role, both myself and my team colleague Shivit Bakrania were asked to be part of the advisory group alongside uh, um, a large range of other external experts to support its development um, and also to ensure consistency with evidence synthesis standards that we developed for UNICEF. And of course, um, most importantly, I guess, also to improve our own learning on how to maximize the value of evidence synthesis for UNICEF and for our partners. Great, thanks. And Ramya? Yeah, so I joined Inucenti uh, in late 2018 as the Chief of Research on Child Rights and Protection, a key portfolio that work, covers work on violence, harm, and exploitation that children face uh, you know, throughout their lives, within their families, but also within communities, schools, institutions, and public spaces. And given the hidden and highly sensitive nature of these issues, um, ethically generated and quality evidence is often very difficult to come by. Uh, 
It's needed, but it's also very hard to do. And more importantly, knowing what to do about these issues is really the, the crying need of the moment. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that the, the resources that are now being spent on preventing violence in particular, that they're based on evidence, the best evidence that is out there. And the, way, the only place to start is by bringing that together in a way that shows us a bigger picture of what's available, where it's available, and so on. So to be more evidence-informed in this space, um, we need A, to generate more and better knowledge about what is working, where, for whom, and why. And the second aspect of that would be then using this learning to adapt and scale up promising strategies. So this for us goes hand in hand with the imperative of accelerating results in these issues within the remaining years of the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. So we were thrilled to work with Campbell Collaboration to build on the work that Kerry has also uh, talked about to map the availability as well as identify gaps so that we can really focus a global agenda on targeting investment in a very coordinated way. And for us in Innocenti, we see the gap map as a, a great way of also helping us set our priorities uh, in research in this space. Thank you. You both touched on this a little bit, but to start us off, I'd like to first talk about why we've made this map. Why are we mapping evidence and gaps on violence against children? Could you give us a sense of the scale of violence against children and how this map will truly help us to understand what we know and how we can address this huge issue better? Sure. And so, I mean, I just would like to start by pointing out that, you know, in the last uh, say five to eight years in particular, there has been a lot of work done to improve the, the understanding of the prevalence, first of all, of violence, which you know, it comes into children's lives in so many ways. There are so many forms of violence, types of perpetrator. It's a very complex space. But what we've been able to establish uh, through uh, data, through surveys, national surveys, and so on, is that there has been, uh, you know, we can now say that about a billion, over a billion children, if not more, experience some form of violence at some point in their lives uh, in the world. And I mean, that's a huge figure. Right. And therefore, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals that I mentioned earlier, have also spotlighted this issue as a core development issue, which is unprecedented uh, because they recognize not just the scale of the of the issue, but also that this issue has significant and lifelong impacts, if not addressed. First of all, we have an ethical and moral imperative to prevent it. But if it is an experience that we also have a an imperative to ensure the right services are in place, to address these issues quickly, to make sure there is no lifelong trauma, because we've seen that violence experienced in childhood also has a huge inter intergenerational tail, if you like, and it affects adults as well, and in ways that impair their functioning in multiple ways. So we really need to keep in mind that the scale and the prevalence is, is really the driving reason why we must do better with evidence-informed strategies and we need to really work harder and faster in this space. Um, so, but what is also good news though, is that in the last few years, we've seen that expansion of evidence. So it's also a great moment to take stock because there's been a lot that's been done and we need to also take pause to uh, appreciate that a lot has been done in a rapid period of time, which is really very heartening. So for us, really, within this kind of global landscape, this, this large scale scope and complexity of the issues, 
our choice of framework is very critical. And for us, the evidence in GAPMAT has been based on the global INSPIRE framework that you mentioned, Kathleen, which is called the Seven Strategies for Ending Violence Against Children, which has been developed and is being actively promoted by a large coalition of agencies, policymakers, national governments, researchers, and practitioners since its launch in 2016. And this allows us, by having such a broad frame and these seven strategies, strategic areas, if you like, that this allows us to remember that violence prevention is fundamentally cross-sectoral and multidisciplinary. Everyone's got to come together to prevent violence against children because it affects all institutions and spaces where children are present. So our approaches therefore must address both this complexity that is in, entailed in ensuring every child is safe and protected from violence, but also the integration across sectors. So we found the INSPIRE framework is really important um, because it aligns us and this research, uh, this kind of stock taking exercise with global actions, with commitments at national, global and regional levels. And therefore, we think it has it has the potential to really be something that brings the field together in, a, in an important way. And finally, I think Kerry mentioned also that we have a wonderful expert global advisory group. I just want to take a minute to, to uh, for a shout out, if you like, because they were really engaged from the beginning. But their composition as well was picked for that kind of cross-sectoral, multidisciplinary perspective. So we really hope we've done you know, a, a comprehensive job with this framework, but of course, we look forward to also continuously improving it. Thank you so much. So um, for our listeners, I, I just, I wanna go back to explain that this isn't our first evidence gap map. Uh, we're building on um, our experience uh, in the mega map that Carrie mentioned. So I wanted to kind of, for those who aren't familiar with our gap maps, talk about what is the role of evidence in gap maps? What can you share with us so we can understand why we're making EGMs in general and how we made this map? Kerry? Sure, Kathleen, thank you. So, I mean, it's important to say that these are not insignificant investments. They take quite a lot of time, quite a lot of resources. Um, and we really think that they're worth that effort uh, for several reasons. Um, the first key message, I guess, really is, is the danger of relying on single studies to make decisions. Um, because obviously, a single study just reflects a portion of the evidence base and is a very biased view, if you like. And we're trying to convey the message that most results are relative and that synthesis and comparison are, are really key to understanding. Evidence synthesis products generally can outline inconsistencies and gaps in evidence, they can help to reconcile competing claims from different studies. And sometimes when you sort of bring different studies together, you get new insights from the body of evidence, um, which can help us better understand what works, as well as, of course, why and where or what doesn't work. Um, and through that, we're, we're really trying to support UNICEF staff and partners to make decisions regarding UNICEF policies, advocacy and programming that are based on bodies of evidence and, and not cherry picking single studies or from a partial evidence base. The second reason is, and this is the beauty of an evidence and gap map, the value of an aggregate view. So as anybody who's ever tried to do research knows, evidence is often dispersed and not accessible or locked away. And EGMs gather both systematic reviews and, and impact evaluation evidence in one place. 
and through the, the, the visual format that they're presented in, it's really intuitive, it's really interactive. You can actually play with the evidence in a way that perhaps you can't um, in, a, in a sort of straight up paper. And this has been really helpful for us at UNICEF in trying to help colleagues who are often very time pressed, who don't have time to go and review the state of the evidence base themselves. Um, and it also, through the, through the UGM, it helps to really easily visualize where evidence exists or doesn't and where it's strong or mixed or, or weak. And then the final reason I think is, is really the value in the process itself. Um, so the way that EGMs are, are produced, it's conducted in such a way as to enable replication and transparency, very much based on systematic review principles of objectivity and rigor. Um, with the aim of trying to minimize bias in review and, and avoid reinventing the wheels through genuinely identifying evidence gaps. Um, and this is really important because, I mean, theoretically, if the, the way that the method is, is so transparent, if anybody else were to come in and repeat the, the, the review in future, in theory, they should get exactly the same result. And so all of this has been feeding into building a, a UNICEF culture of evidence-informed decision-making and, and confidence building, I guess, in, in commissioning or using evidence uh, synthesis products ourselves. And we also see it as our contribution to what um, Howard White, the, the CEO of Campbell Collaboration, calls building the evidence architecture. So we're working to strengthen both the supply of and the demand for, in our case, evidence for children. Thank you, Carrie. I, I certainly hope people are finding this interesting. And, and speaking of, I'd really like to now segue and get into some of the findings. Um, what can you tell us about what this gap map reveals about violence against children that we didn't know before? Where are the largest gaps in our evidence? And what do we already know a lot about? Thanks, Kathleen. I mean, I think the, you know, as already flagged, Violence prevention itself is, is a complex field in space because it has so many dimensions, right? It's the, the, the experience of violence itself, but then there's the whole interrelationship with the space where it takes place, the form, and added to that, the gender dimensions, the age dimensions, um, you know, and then also the contextual dimensions, so which includes social norms and so many other factors. So building a strong intersectional approach um, is really important. And that's why, as we talked about the INSPIRE framework, but then also keeping in mind what Kerry spoke to, kind of trying to do this whilst also maintaining the kind of the, the rigor and the, and the uh, uh, technical specificity of, of an actual evidence and gap map. So it's been really a very interesting and quite challenging process, uh, but a very instructive one as well. So just starting with this idea of complexity, I think it's clear that across the pillars, the seven pillars or categories of uh, that the INSPIRE framework covers, um, across all of them, we have a big gap in terms of particularly understanding you know, different kinds of vulnerability. So that's a really important thing, right? So when you want strategies, you wanna make sure you can't have one size fits all, you've got to understand how it might particularly uh, work, who it might work for, and so on. And I think one of the big gaps that we find, and I think, again, Kerry might agree, this is probably something that all, a lot of research on children finds, we need to do better to understand uh, whether how these strategies work for children with disability, for example, or children from minority groups, uh, ethnic or religious, or other children living in institutions, uh, like care homes, 
there are several gaps around uh, particular uh, groups, subgroups of children. And I think that needs to be really addressed as a priority. And, and this needs to be taken on board in the research that is commissioned and then the way the research is designed and executed. Um, we also have gaps, of course, across the pillars of INSPIRE. This also needs a discussion. Some pillars such as education and life skills, parenting programs and income strengthening are better concentrated and some need far greater understanding such as social norms, response services, laws and, and criminal justice space. They are also often more technically or conceptually difficult to design. So maybe they, they need a huge, more, a significant amount more of investment to, to improve maybe uh, the, the availability of studies in this area and to maybe standardize better and so on. So these would be some observations about the, the, the you know, across the seven strategy areas where we, we find, we came across, with, we saw differences in the availability of evidence. Uh, and these may also be areas where you just need many more primary studies in the first place, because maybe systematic reviews uh, don't find enough, uh, so they don't, they don't get uh, conducted in some ways because there isn't enough to, to work with. Um, the third area I would say is that, you know, a broad observation on research quality. Um, and see, research quality and consideration of ethics were not specific criteria for selection of what went into the map, but we have commented on it. And I think the broad observation here is that these are critical. You know, how we, how ethically the research has been conducted, there's very variable reporting on, on the ethics uh, issues, which we think are very fundamental to all research on children, but particularly on, on issues such as violence and where trauma is experienced. And also more so in the context of COVID-19, when not only is violence seen to be amplified in the context of mitigation measures, but also the short, uh, medium and long-term impacts of COVID-19 on services and resources. So, you know, these consideration of ethics, the impact on the quality of the research we can con conduct, these are very uh, central concerns and issues. And this is an area that possibly needs a lot of um, consideration, deliberation and strengthening as a field uh, across all the researchers working in these, on these issues. And last but not least, we do see significant geographical gaps. And some of these gaps are likely to reflect that this phase of the EGM is based on English language sources. But our next update, which is already under preparation, will add studies on Arabic, Chinese, French, Portuguese, and Spanish, which may ultimately hopefully update this picture. But even so, we do see that many large studies are concentrated in a few countries. And this allows, of course, both for regional evidence strengthening strategies to be developed and better use of evidence from these better concentrated countries so that other countries can also learn from them. But we also need to make sure that we that the investments are geographically much more equitable and that they are uh, you know, addressing uh, very high uh, information and learning needs in these different countries. So I'll stop with these, with these broad observations, but again, I think many of these are not only uh, relevant to research on violence, I think uh, we probably uh, they probably echoed in other studies as well. Thank you, Ramya. Really interesting about the geographical gaps and language gaps, actually. Um, Carrie, moving on to you, I'd I'd like to ask um, because we've done several gap maps now. Have you noticed any consistencies in where the gaps are in evidence, and 
what we know more about and what we know less about uh, across the board? Sure. I mean, I think the findings from the evidence gap maps that we've produced more generally very much tend to echo what, what Ramia has just said. So some of our previous gap maps relate to the mega map that we talked about before, um, which maps evidence against the, the five goals of UNICEF's current strategic plan. Um, so around health and nutrition, education, violence against children, obviously, a clean and safe environment and an equitable chance in life. Um, other gap maps are around adolescent well-being, looking at protection participation, financial and material well-being and the enabling environment. And then we've recently just completed um, another one, a rapid review really, um, in the context of COVID, uh, looking at uh, the evidence around former pandemics, epidem uh, pandemics and epidemics and, and child protection outcomes. And of course, this, this violence one as well. And across all of them, I think, findings are remarkably consistent. So um, generally, child health and nutrition are pretty well covered through evidence synthesis, but there are some remaining gaps, notably around mental health. Um, little evidence generally and where it does exist, it mostly comes from high income contexts. Education, likewise, is relatively well covered by evidence synthesis, but very much on traditional education outcomes um, and far less so in, in sort of systems or, or process type issues. So there's a lack of evidence on pedagogical approaches outside of developed countries, less evidence around remedial education or non-formal education, um, also on delivering education in humanitarian settings, or as Ramya again mentioned, uh, inclusive education for people with disabilities. Um, there's also very little evidence synthesis done on many aspects of a clean and safe environment. So indoor and outdoor air pollution, exposure to toxins, safe spaces to play, traffic calming, uh, you know, very large areas of, of, of gaps or lack of knowledge really. Um, and then child protection as a sector is much less well served by evidence synthesis than the more traditional areas perhaps. So we also see big gaps around synthesis in what works in combating trafficking and sexual exploitation, in early marriage and female genital mutilation and cutting. Um, and then across all sectors, really, there's a complete lack of data normally documented in studies around the cost effectiveness of interventions. And that's a huge gap for the sector. How can we scale up if we don't know how much it costs um, in terms of what works and how cost effective it is and whether we would get the same result in a different setting with less resources? Um, Generally, there's far less evidence around in fragile conflict to humanitarian contexts. And on the area of, of gender, I think in particular, there's a lack of evidence on what works in terms of changing gender norms and, and gender socialization and the role of men and boys in particular to promote positive attitudes towards gender equity. And again, as Ramya mentioned, generally a lack of focus on the most vulnerable and marginalized children. So the SDG goal of leaving no child behind is, is very difficult under these circumstances. Very little with an explicit focus on equity, very little for disadvantaged groups and those who are particularly discriminated against, um, including children with disabilities and, and those from indigenous groups. Thanks, Carrie. The research makes some broad recommendations or suggestions for what can be done to close the gaps in evidence on violence against children. What recommendations, in your own words, are especially important now in the context of COVID to end violence against children and why? Who do you hope will see this research and use this evidence gap map? I think a lot of the things we've talked about so far um, 
you know, we talked about the evidence in GapMap itself, but I think we're clear, particularly at Innocenti and this collaboration that we have with the child rights and protection team and our own research facilitation and knowledge management team, is that ultimately an evidence gap map must be a useful resource. It must be useful uh, for different people to focus attention on evidence-informed uh, strategies and investments. And for the different stakeholders who need this, we need to see how do we get it out to as many of them as we can in formats and ways that are tailored to their needs and their ability to use the information. So I think this is really, uh, you know, the crucial step in way I feel like now that the evidence and gap maps have been done, the real work begins. So I think that's one thing that's very important. So for us, we, uh, for, you know, we clearly see the, the uh, global, regional and national policymakers um, being a, a core constituency for this work and using Inspire, as, as I've mentioned before, allows us to work with that, with that group of stakeholders, starting with the Global Partnership to End Violence Against Children, who will be working with us to kind of amplify these messages uh, and to take it out to their policymaking constituencies in pathfinding countries where they work. So we're really excited about that. And they're gonna also help us, of course, learn how to tailor this material so that it is for that end user. Um, secondly, the Office of the Special Representative to the Secretary, Secretary General on Violence Against Children and the other rights mandate holders who work on these issues, they engage closely with governments as well. And we'd really love to use their platforms to see how this can be made helpful to them and their constituencies in, the, in that area of work. And then of course the INSPIRE Working Group itself is, is a large coalition, UNICEF's a very cool part of it. So I think we see many ways in which we can bring global, regional and, and the national organizations together in a kind of a coherent uh, approach. So I like to think of what this is a kind of a combined rigor and vigor approach. You know, you've got all of this energy, the, all of these mechanisms to have those conversations, to build those bridges. And we, what we've done is do our best to kind of provide a very rigorous uh, process of uh, selecting and packaging that information. And the work, as I said, is just beginning in a way. So the conditions are in place as we see it to accelerate the use of this existing evidence and then also finding out what more people would like to see as evidence priorities that will support uh, real change on the ground. Um, and I think the other issue that I would, would flag here is that the bigger gap is getting this inf information out also to national research organizations. And I think a, a big question here is who's producing all of this evidence and who's producing all of this knowledge. And I think we need to really make sure we are uh, opening up this process also for national research organizations to engage with the evidence that's out there, to bring their own perspectives from different kinds of knowledge, maybe of implementation and so on. So really the, this is an, an opening piece, if you like, for bringing many more exciting uh, conversations together about what are the knowledge needs, who needs them and in what form. And I think this is something that we will continue to plan for and address in our proposed quite deep and long dissemination process, which should be built on dialogue, which should be based on, on discussion, but also translation. Uh, and these are all things that need investment. And I think the final point about investment is that EGMs don't stop when you produce them. They need constant updating, both in terms of the conceptual framework, but also the content. 
And I say this because already while we were finalizing it, we went and did a quick second round to add at least another 10, seven or eight or 10 studies that in the meantime had been completed. So this is a really active and dynamic space, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and so we have to make sure we're also not capturing it in a static way and then saying, you know, that's it. We've got to keep updating this. Um, and that needs a whole different conversation about investment. Um, and I think also in the context of COVID-19 as well, we need to find ways of being also more nimble to synthesize available evidence, but also learn in real time, plug evidence gaps in ethical ways, and sort of pri while prioritizing a do no harm approach. So I think uh, just to conclude, we, we, there is a huge amount to be done, but we're at a very exciting moment. And we really look forward to taking this forward uh, with that kind of broad approach of seeing this as something very dynamic, live, something very engaging uh, with the, uh, you know, with the deep intention of making sure it has an impact, a real impact on the ground. Thank you, Ramya. Really important to mention that it needs to continue to be updated in order for it to be relevant. And I really strongly support that as well. Carrie, what about you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to say I love that idea of rigor and vigor, um, Ramya. I think I'm going to steal that in future. I think it is really important to get the sense of dynamism. Um, so for me, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we held this high level roundtable on evidence for children in New York, um, alongside the Campbell Collaboration and the, and the International Rescue Committee. Um, and so for me, I hope, aside from the community of practice working to end violence against children, I hope that the evidence synthesis community as well also takes a look at UNICEF's evidence synthesis outputs and better recognizes the need to include a child lens into their own products, as children you know, really experience the world in very different ways to adults. The second one is really national governments. I mean, Ramya touched upon this already, but again, I hope that you know, government officials who've got responsibility for, for budgetary or policy decisions of potential relevance to children also take a look at this work and they choose to incorporate some of this evidence uh, into their own decision-making, whether it be through using synthesis products produced by UNICEF, Campbell and, and, and others, um, or by commissioning their own research or evidence synthesis. And then finally, of course, you know, UNICEF colleagues, much of UNICEF's work is, is cross-sectoral. Um, we work in 190 countries around the world. We know that to achieve the SDGs, we need to be thinking more cross-sectorally and more holistically. So I hope that in addition to those colleagues who are specifically working on violence against children or preventing violence against children, I should say, um, we hope that other colleagues as well working in different sectors will also find this of interest to inform their own policy and programming. Thank you, Carrie. I hope so too. So our final question is looking ahead. What is the future of evidence synthesis and EGMs at Innocenti and generally? Carrie, what do you think? I mean, it's a really exciting time to be working in this area, both, both generally, but also at Innocenti. Um, we've got a convergence of minds who are really interested in, in evidence synthesis as a topic. So, I mean, firstly, in, in terms of capacity building or capacity enhancement, I mentioned at the beginning that we've been trying to enhance awareness across UNICEF of the added value evidence synthesis for some time. So we produced um, a methodological brief series on you know, how you commission or conduct an evidence synthesis product, including a, an EGM. Um, and that's available on our website for those that are interested. We've also been conducting um, evidence ecosystem assessments, which sounds very complex, but really looking um, 
in two regions in particular across South Asia and, and East Asia Pacific with external partners um, in Aspen politics and ideas to really try and understand the barriers and, and enablers to evidence use. And we've been delivering training in evidence synthesis and, and critical appraisal skills. Of course, there's gonna be more evidence synthesis products. We've got lots of exciting stuff underway um, at Innocenti, including um, a systematic review on gender and, and social protection that, that Ramya is co-leading alongside another colleague. We've also got evidence synthesis work uh, forthcoming around child and adolescent mental health. Um, returning to this idea of the evidence architecture that, that Howard White is, is well known for, we've also been sort of cogitating on this and thinking about what it means for us, both in terms of you know, building an evidence ecosystem, so working with governments and local think tanks and research partners and, and other sorts of intermediaries uh, alongside UNICEF country offices, to strengthen the plumbing, so to speak. Um, so better link organizations with an interest in evidence for children, strengthening evidence-informed decision-making for children with, with the national governments and parliaments, and trying to sort of transfer the experience of the health sector in building evidence architecture to other sectors as well. Um, so through this, we've been thinking about how we strengthen the provision of quality evidence through different formats and platforms, strengthening demand for evidence um, and a culture of critical thinking around evidence for children. And several of our country offices, for example, are, are looking at supporting evidence-based budgeting and strengthening public finance for children in this regard. And at Innocenti, we're looking at what multi-sectoral and, and interdisciplinary evidence synthesis for children could really look like across all of our research teams and, and external partners. We're also innovating, I think, you know, so to try and explore better combination of the what works sort of, of evidence synthesis alongside more contextual evidence and tools, including political economy factors, implementation research, scaling science, you know, how things actually work in different contexts. And obviously, as Ramya mentioned, a continued focus on COVID-19 and trying to look at how we can speed up the timeframes for, for rapid evidence synthesis and the appropriate balance between speed and quality. And finally, I guess, in terms of this particular um, VAC EGM and, and the aspects of knowledge brokering, of course, as Ramya mentioned, the, the work doesn't stop with the, the simple production of the EGM and the, and the accompanying briefs. And underscoring what Ramya said earlier, we're also looking to experiment and, and to learn more about knowledge translation and, and uptake of evidence, including through looking at different channels and partnerships to enhance evidence-informed advocacy, policy and programming. Uh, so in this regard, I know Ramya and I are really excited to combine Innocenti's technical evidence synthesis expertise with our focus on priority issues such as ending violence against children and working across teams within Innocenti as well. Wow, thank you for that, Carrie. And then thank you um, both Carrie and Ramya for taking us behind the scenes of our new evidence gap map on violence against children and Innocenti's broader work on evidence synthesis today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. So again, I just wanna say thank you both um, so much for, for allowing me to interview you today. Do you have any final thoughts? No, thanks for the opportunity, Kathleen. I, I hope people find it interesting. It's been a tremendous uh, project to work on and, and we have a grand vision. So um, join us. <laughs> yeah. And likewise, I think this was a great opportunity for us as well to sit back and reflect. So thank you so much for this and hopefully people found it interesting as well.
Thank you, Ramya and Carrie. So for our listeners, please visit our interactive evidence gap map online now at unicef-irc.org slash evidence hyphen gap hyphen map hyphen violence hyphen against hyphen children. We will leave a link in our podcast. And for more updates on our research on children, child rights, violence against children, and more, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all at the handle UNICEF Innocenti. See you next time. Thank you.